You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Romans. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. Uh, We're in Romans chapter 8, but we're going to read from chapter 7, verse 13 through chapter 8, verse 11. And as you uh, flip there, you can go ahead and stand and we'll read together this morning. Chapter 7, verse 13 of Romans. It says, Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good... I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity so the law of sin which is in my to the law of sin which is in my members o wretched man that i am who will deliver me from this body of death i thank god through christ jesus our lord so then with the mind i myself serve the law of god but with the flesh the law of sin there is therefore now no condemnation To those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh." that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness." But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray. Lord, as we are in this paramount chapter in the book of Romans, just a chapter that has just, it's been like eating a massive steak this week and trying to chew and digest and understand, just fully comprehend the incredible power and victory that's in Christ Jesus through the power of his spirit. Lord, we pray that as we've studied the book of Romans and we've understood the the battle against remaining corruption in our life, the old man who is decaying and And just trying to trip us up. But Lord, the victory, the life that's in the spirit of God. 
Lord, bring it home today. Let your word convict and charge and change. Let your word correct. And Lord, let your word enable today. Lord, we need your teaching. We need your guidance as we walk through the word this morning. And so let it just be not by wisdom of words, but by the demonstration of your spirit and your power that our lives are changed this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You guys can go ahead and be seated as we look at Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. We see Christ as the remover of our condemnation. Romans chapter 8. Been looking forward to this chapter. The Puritans called Romans chapter 8 the Great Eight. It's been known as the high point of the Bible. Of course, all of the Bible is equally inspired, uh, but not all of the Bible is equally inspirational. And here in chapter 8, we are just inspired by the Holy Spirit to walk in the Holy Spirit. The 17th century theologian Thomas Jacob said, It may be styled the chapter of chapters. From first to last, it is the high gospel and it is all gospel. It's matter being entirely evangelical. Romans chapter 8 pulsates with the story of the Bible. It clarifies totality of the biblical record from beginning to end. You'll remember when we started the book of Romans that Luther desired his whole congregation to know the entire book of Romans word for word. And uh, maybe some of you have joined me in the attempt to memorize the whole book as we go through it. And if you failed at any point, that's totally okay. Uh, But I would encourage you to memorize Romans chapter 8. To memorize it. The chapter begins with no condemnation. And the chapter ends with no separation. And sandwiched in between the two is no defeat. You'll remember from last week in studying in depth chapter 7, and we just read uh, the portion I'm referring to, that the pronoun I is used some 35 times. Whether it's I, me, myself. But here in chapter 8 we see The Spirit proclaimed, mentioned over 19 times. And when I is mentioned now, it's in reference to salvation. I has been curved now into an S for the power of the Holy Spirit. This battle that we are going through against remaining corruption. Last week we see Paul asking, how? How do I obey? And that how, based on works, based on legalism, based on self, has been changed to a who. Who can empower me to obey? Who, verse 24 of chapter 7, can deliver me from this body of death? Who, I thank God, through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And here in chapter 8, we see even more of the who. Chapter 7 shows us our problem with sin. But chapter 8 brings the solution with the problem of sin home. And so we want to watch as we look through this chapter. We want to watch for the flesh and the battle against the spirit. The flesh versus the spirit. Verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. There is therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, a nice little cheesy rule is that you always ask yourself, what's it there for? And as we've been looking at the whole book of Romans, we know chapter 1 through chapter 3 verse 19 shows us the depravity of man and our desperate need for a Savior. That there is none righteous, there is none Good. There is none right before God in his own merit, in his own labors. 
We are depraved and we need atonement for our sins. None are good before God. And then chapter 3 verse 20 picks up with the section of Romans that deals with justification uh, by faith or by grace through faith. That the means of our justification is not by our works and is not by our labors. And that goes through chapter 5. That our justification, our declaration of innocence before God, before the judge, jury, and executioner, our declaration of innocence is by the grace of God through faith. And then this chapter's dealing with sanctification, chapters 6 and 7, are heralded not by the flesh are we sanctified, but by the power of the Spirit. And so knowing all of that, that we are in desperate need of a Savior, we've de-godded God, we've turned from worshiping the Creator who's eternally blessed forever, and we've gone and worshiped the created things, and in that have flown all sorts of wicked things, backbiting, maliciousness, homosexuality, sexual immorality, uh, you name it, we've done it, all because we have an idol issue in our life. We have a worship disorder in our life. But the good news is it doesn't end there. We can be justified and declared innocent from all that because of what Jesus has done, and we can be conformed into the image of his Son uh, by the Spirit of God, who dwells in the life of every believer. So, is this therefore that we read in verse 1? Is this therefore just for the end of chapter 7? You know, the battle against sin, and why am I not doing what I want to do, and why am I doing what I don't want to do? Who can deliver me, this wretched man from the body of death? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh, bam, there is therefore, now no condemnation. Is that what the therefore is therefore? Or is it for the whole book? It can be paraphrased in light of all I've just said and in light of all I've said. In light of all I've just said and in light of all I've said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 7 is the cold, shadowy side of the house. But Romans chapter 8 is the sunny, bright, radiant side of the house. We all know those sides of our house lately, don't we? A little sun on one side, it's just so joyful and so nice and warm. But that cold side, that shadowy side, oh man, there's desperation there. There is therefore now no condemnation. There's two types of now that this now could be. There's the finally now, and there's the already now. A finally now would be something like this, could be illustrated like this. Russell's birthday uh, was February 1st. That was this last Wednesday. He turned five. This is my son, Russell. And, you know, just so excited for his birthday to be coming. We got a calendar from Bear Automotive. It's got Corvettes and Mustangs and Camaros and all of that. I walk into his room and the calendar's open to December. And I say, oh no, son, it's not December. It's January 15th and your birthday's coming up. And on February 1st, we'll flip the page and it'll be your birthday. So for some 15 days, my son is just so excited. It's almost my birthday. It's almost my birthday. And as his birthday draws near, you know, we would get various presents for him. The presents would be wrapped and and ready for him to open. And he would ask the question, like you guys all are familiar with, with your children. Can I open the present now? Can I open the present now? No, son, you have to wait. You have to wait for Nana and Papa to get here. You have to wait for, you know, your your friend who gave the gift to be there with you. And you, you have to wait, son. You have to wait. And then finally it would come. Finally it would come where we would say, okay, you can open the present The child finally now gets to open his present. It's something that you wait for. And finally, now it's here. On the other aspect of things, uh, you know, there's the already now. Uh, Something that you have been waiting for to come. And it's supposed to come in the distant uh, future. uh, Such as perhaps an inheritance from uh, your parents And as your parents are still alive, you know, you get a letter in the mail that says, son or daughter, I've been thinking of you. 
Um, you know, I know it's been hard times. Uh, as you know, you have a, a substantial inheritance coming your way uh, when your mother and I pass. And, you know, but I know you're going through hard times. And so here's a $5,000 check from your inheritance, uh, you know, some 10 to 30 years in advance uh, just because you need it. And so the now in that case would be already, already now. And so what is the type of now that Paul speaks of here? What is this? There is therefore now no condemnation. Is it a finally now there's no condemnation? Or is it an already? Already now? Even though you're not standing here in Jerusalem with your kingdom set up in the millennial reign? Even though, you know, sometimes you feel so distant Even though I struggle with sin still, I have the battle that wages within me against remaining corruption, but already, already now there's no condemnation. Now, presently, early, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation. Condemnation is an adverse sentence or a verdict. It speaks of a complete public disapproval and execution of judgment against someone. You could see it on a Law and Order episode. The the public verdict of guilt, of damnation, and of judgment ringing forth from the presses. In Greek, condemnation literally speaks of a sign of guilt or a placard of judgment being placed around someone's neck. And of course, we as sinners have taken that sign and placard, turned it into a neon sign, click, click, turned it on, and it's glowing, condemned, sinful, utterly depraved, and facing judgment for our sin. There's a sign around the neck of every sinner apart from Christ. That sign heralds forth condemned. But since the work of salvation has been done by grace through faith in Jesus Christ for both justification and sanctification, there is no condemnation. There is no damnation. There is no public disapproval if you're in Christ. As you go through the book of Romans, justification by faith is the hook of the book. It's the glorious chorus. Paul will preach, you've been justified by grace through faith. And we all sigh with relief and say, amen. And then Paul will explain that for a while. And then he'll come back to it again and say, remember, justified by faith in Christ. And we'll get away from it and have some explanation of it. But then he'll come back again. Remember, justified by grace through faith. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, condemnation, no more. No more condemnation. And in this statement is the essence of the gospel. The cause of for our condemnation was sin. And it's no surprise for me to read that a sinner has condemnation. I know my sin. My family knows my sin. My close friends know my sin. A lot of you know my sin. And I know a lot of yours. And there's no argument to us, you know, that, you know, what? I shouldn't be condemned for my idolatry, for my wicked thought for my blasphemy, for my witchcraft and sorcery and hatred and maliciousness and sexual and No, we know we're guilty. And God would be completely just in condemning us for our sin. But how amazing this verse is after coming out of chapter 7, verses 13 through 25, that not only do you and my wife and my family know what a sinner I am, but God knows what a wretched man I am. That wretched man he refers to in verse 24 of chapter 7. God knows just how wretched this 30-year-old man is. But how amazing it is that I'm under no condemnation because of what he's done. Isaiah chapter 54 verse 17 says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. 
and every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you love a heritage? Isn't that so rad? Man, a heritage. Think of my, my grandpa Khan, you know, and just the man of God that he was and how he pointed us towards Jesus all of his days. And I think of the heritage that I have through the Khan family, my mom's side. I love a heritage. And I love the heritage that we have in the Lord. That anybody that would rise to condemn us, you shall silence. In fact, you shall condemn them. Where is our righteousness from, according to the book of Isaiah? It's from the Lord. We're righteous in the Lord. John chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And you flip over two chapters to John 5, 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. What is this judgment? What is this condemnation? Light came into the world, but men loved darkness rather than the light. The light personified, the light in flesh. We love darkness rather than Jesus, who is the epitome of all light. But if we believe in that light, we have life and will not come into crino, will not come into catacrino, into this condemnation. Galatians 3.13 says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having actually become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Why is there no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Why is there no curse for those who are in Christ Jesus? Because somebody has become the curse for us. That somebody is Jesus. Note the clause. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The New Living Translation says, for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Note it does not say, for those who are cool with Jesus. Or for those who are like Jesus. But rather it says, for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we are not righteous by the work of Christ Jesus, then we are condemned. If we are not in Christ Jesus, we're damned. There is no middle ground. There is no, well, Jesus is my best friend. Jesus is my homeboy. But I don't need his work on the cross to be the atonement for my sins. There's none of that. There's no middle ground. There's no, I'm a pretty good person, or I've done more good at the end of the day than I've done bad. No, you are condemned if that is your mindset. There's no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. Calvin said, all of Christ or all that Christ has done for us is no value to us so long as we remain outside of Christ. Are you outside of Christ? Be honest with yourself this morning. I'm not asking if you've gone to church since your childhood. I'm not asking if you've held some title of ministry in your life. I'm asking, are you in Christ Jesus? The key to our victory that we see in Romans chapter 8 comes from knowing his opinion from us. Spurgeon said, every sermon is about one thing being hammered out in a thousand different ways. And that is our position in Christ. Think of when something comes into you. You eat, you know, a tasty treat burger, you know, 
We all know what a tasty treat burger looks like, what it smells like, man, when it comes in that red basket, you know, uh, and we know what it smells like. We know its characteristics. But once that tasty treat burger comes in Rory, no longer do you see the characteristics of that burger, though I may have a little mustard uh, on the side of my mouth, you know. Uh, no longer do you see any of that burger, and I mean there's none left, okay? But rather you see the characteristics of the person whom the burger is in. The same thing is true when we are in Christ. When we are in Christ, no longer does the Father see the man of Romans chapter 7, verse 13 through 25. No longer does the Father see someone who, you know, has the remaining corruption. But rather, the Father looks at you through his Son, through the cross, and he completely and totally sees the righteousness of Christ. As far as the east is from the west, the Lord declares, that's how far I've removed your transgressions from you. God no longer sees you. He sees Christ, whom you are in. The legend of Achilles was that he was dipped into the river Styx by his mother Thetis in order to make him invulnerable. The problem was his mother was holding him by his heels as she dipped him to the river so his heels were not covered by the water and he had a weak spot. He had a vulnerable spot and was later on, by legend, killed by an arrow to the heel. You see, in Christ... There is no Achilles heel. There is no weak spot. There is no vulnerability. There is no part of us that pops out from Jesus. We are in Christ. And the Father sees us in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Philippians 3.9 and we are found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which is from God by faith. Titus 2.11, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purified for himself his own special people zealous for good works. In Christ, we are this new special people, a new creation, zealous for good works. No condemnation against these people. Romans 8.33, the same chapter that we're in, asks the question, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who's going to try to condemn the elect of God? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? It's not Christ. You know, it says it's Christ that died. Furthermore, he's also risen and is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Does God condemn us? Does God condemn the elect? No. Christ died for the elect. And he stands at the right hand of the Father and ever lives to pray for us, not to condemn us. In the book of Job, we see who the one is who condemns. We see that he's the slanderer. In Job chapter 1, verse 6, it says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? 
Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. We see that one thing Satan does, he's called the slander, he's called the deceiver. But he goes into the throne room of God and he brings accusations against God's people. He condemns God's people. In Revelation chapter 12, there's a bright spot on the history of this uh, Satan where it says war breaks out in heaven. And Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, that's the devil, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren, the one who brings condemnation, who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and those that dwell in them, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devils come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. And so we see this previous history of the devil being the accuser and we see what will happen in the heavens during the great tribulation period when the devil will be cast out, no longer able to bring a charge against God's elect. In the meantime, while those charges are being brought Who is standing there as your attorney making defense for you? Declaring, hey, there is therefore now no condemnation for Rory and Blaine and Nikki and Pam and Lynette and James. Hey, see these nail-pierced hands? They put their faith in me. And my blood has cleansed them of their iniquities. They are justified. I'm not the one accusing, I'm the one making intercession. Not only is Satan the one that can bring charges and condemnation against God's elect, but 1 John chapter 3, verse 20 says that if our heart condemns us, that uh, seat of emotions within us, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. In the battle against remaining corruption, in the times where we feel like Paul at the end of Romans chapter 7, where we've struggled and we've fought, but we allow the lies of the enemy and the condemnation and the guilt to seep in and to condemn us. Brothers and sisters, Take those thoughts captive into the obedience of Christ. Those thoughts are trying to exalt themselves against the finished work of Christ on the cross. If your heart condemns, cry out for your high priest who is greater than your hearts. Cry out for him to intercede for you. As you take those thoughts into captivity, it says that you have confidence towards your God. It says that you have trust in your God, in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. If today you come here and you're walking in condemnation, you know what the real sin is, is that you're not trusting in God for forgiveness. You've gone back to works-based righteousness. You're trying to finish the work in your own strength and you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work. And you're not believing that he who began the good work will be the one that finishes the work in you. And you are in sin. You've, gone, you've left grace. And on a moment-by-moment basis, we can leave grace and go back to works. We go back to that cruel husband of the law who only condemns 
who only shows us that we've failed. We've departed from grace. And that's sin. It's not believing in the finished work of Christ on the cross. You're lying against yourself, saying that the cross isn't enough. I've got to take matters into my own hand. The law, excuse me, there is no, therefore now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Two laws here. That word law speaks of parceling out. And it's especially used for food, for grazing anim- uh, animals to graze on. For those of you that are cattlemen, you know, and you can picture parceling out a flake of hay to each animal. You know, there's these laws that are divvied out. Then it says there's two laws. There's a law of sin and of death. Paul says that as ministers of the new covenant, that this old covenant, the old letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So there's that law of the law that we've looked at for the last three weeks in Romans chapter 7, and it only can produce death. But then there's another law. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. How ironic that a law cancels out a law. A law of life canceling out a law of death. Jesus says that if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he'd have given you living water. This spirit of life. As he later says, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. He's referring to the Holy Spirit in the believer. Fountains of life, fountains of living water. The law of gravity used to rule in this world. Until another law came and replaced it. The law of aerodynamics. What keeps a 747 jumbo jet up in the air with all of its passengers and cargo? Aerodynamics. The law of gravity seeks to pull down this giant beast of a plane. But the law of aerodynamics replaces the law of gravity and keeps that plane flying safely in the air. In the same way, the law of the spirit of life, the living water that's poured out in our hearts, is greater than the law of sin and death. It's a greater principle that supersedes the life of the law, the life of the flesh. Verse 3 says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak in the flesh, God did by sending his only Son In the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemned sin. Romans chapter 3 verse 21 is a key verse in the book of Romans. And it shows us that the law does not produce righteousness. Romans chapter 7, the whole chapter has shown us how clearly the law does not produce salvation. Nor does it produce sanctification, conforming us to the image of Christ. And Paul has declared that the problem's never been with the law itself. The problem is with us, verses 12 and 14 of chapter 7. And here in verse 3, we see the problems with us. We're too weak in the flesh. The law couldn't do it. The how or the what couldn't do it. But the who can do it. The who can sanctify the person, the God, Jesus Christ, brings sanctification. God did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, in the form, in the resemblance of sinful flesh, born of a virgin, not sinful flesh, but in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came under the power of sin. And yet he sinned not. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in our weaknesses, 
but was in all points tempted as we are. He came under the power of sin, and yet without sin. In order to defeat sin, Jesus had to come and to identify with those who were bound by it, coming in the likeness of sinful flesh. Not being sinful flesh, but identifying with it entirely. On account of sin, he condemned sin. Or for sin's sake, or as an offering for sin, he came. Sacrifice was required. The scriptures declare that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. There's something about blood, wouldn't you agree? The Bible tells us that there's life in the blood. You shouldn't drink blood. There's life in that. And so whenever blood is shed, it means that life has died. And so Jesus came and shed his blood, paying the ransom price to relieve us and to redeem us from our sins. The blood being so much more precious than silver and gold, being so much more efficient than the blood of bulls or of goats. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh and on account of sin or for an offering of sin, he condemned sin. The New Living Translation says for verse 3, The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He set his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. I don't mean to bore you, but I love the Phillips translation as well. I got to read it to you. God has met this by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to live in that human nature, which causes the trouble. And while Christ was actually taking upon himself the sins of men, God condemned that sinful nature. So that we are able to meet the law's requirements, so long as we are living no longer by the dictates of our sinful nature, but in obedience to the promptings of the Spirit. Jesus fulfilled the law in his perfect life here on earth. I didn't come to destroy the law, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, but to fulfill the law and to condemn sin. At the cross, Jesus condemned sin. And we are no longer condemned. Right now, if you're in Christ, you're not condemned because Jesus was condemned. And in his condemnation, he condemned sin. Notice, he condemned sin. It's the same definition of condemnation that we just looked at in verse 1. A complete public disapproval, and execution of judgment against someone. Only that sign of judgment is not on us. That sign, that complete public disapproval, went over to Calvary and rested above Jesus. And what did that placard say? What was the charge of condemnation against Jesus that day? Here is he who is king of the Jews. Murdered, executed, slaughtered, though he had done no wrong. And no longer does that sign rest on us. It rested on Christ. But you know what? Now, the sign is no longer above Christ. The sign is on sin. That sign of condemnation, that complete public disapproval and execution of judgment is upon sin. He has condemned sin. He died so we wouldn't have to. Charles Cranfield says, for those who are in Christ, there is no divine condemnation since the condemnation they deserve has already been fully borne for them by him. Verse 4 that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, condemned sin, so that all that was required 
all of Jesus' perfection, fulfilling those requirements, is now imputed into our account. One of my favorite verses, and I hope you have it memorized now. Scott Underwood did a great song about it. For he made him, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This righteousness has been attributed to us. This holiness of Christ has been placed upon us. And Jesus has become the curse for us. So now we can say we're righteous because of Christ. We now walk in obedience because of Christ. Obedience, righteousness, is not the grounds of our justification, but rather it's the fruit of our justification. John Stott said, holiness is the fruit of Trinitarian grace. What the law could not do, God did. The plan of salvation is essentially Trinitarian, for God's way of salvation is not law, but grace through the death of Christ, and his way of sanctification is not law, but the Spirit through his indwelling. For us, for you, if you're in Christ, the righteous requirement of God has been fulfilled so that when you blow it during the week and you would say, I feel condemned, he would say, no condemnation. And then you would say, but I feel, no condemnation. But I feel, no condemnation. (laughs) No condemnation. Don't argue with me. (laughs) This is what you're doing. This is what I need you to do. Zip it. But I feel, it doesn't matter. Are you going to believe me at my word? Are you in Christ? There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The reason most feel condemned is because they've gone back to works-based righteousness. When we come to Jesus-based righteousness, the fruit of walking in that will be holiness in our lives. I hate to be a liar, but I feel like we're to just worship now. (laughs) I said we go through verse 11, and I know you guys are really looking forward to it. But I think we just need to worship the Lord. After studying verses 13 through 25 last week, why don't I do the things that I want to do? Why am I not doing, why am I doing what I don't want to do? Wretched man that I am. Hey, There's no condemnation for those of you that are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus today? I beg of you to do an honest assessment. In fact, I beg of you to not do the assessment, but to ask the Lord to do the assessment. That the Lord would show you your self-righteousness. That the Lord would show you that the reason that you've been feeling condemned, number one, is because you are condemned. Because you're outside of Christ Jesus. You've never placed your faith in him in a way that what he's done is imputed into your account. Or you're feeling condemned because you've fallen from grace. You've turned from Just your gaze being upon all that he has accomplished and how he has paid it all. And you've backslidden into self again. Self-righteousness again. But you know what? The law of the spirit of life. the, The spirit that brings its living water today can set you free from the law of sin and death. Let's, by faith, come to that second law. By faith, let's come to that law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And for those of you that you come into this room and you are condemned, there's a sign of public disapproval and judgment upon you. Even today, Jesus says, you're already condemned. 
You don't need to wait till the white throat judgment of God to be cast into hell to say I've been judged. No, right now. If you're walking in rebellion against God, walking in rebellion against the gospel, repent. Repent and obey the gospel. Place your faith in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Rest in Jesus for your justification, for your innocence before God. And then don't let your resting end there. Rest in his spirit. Allow his spirit to do the work of sanctification in your life today. Let's worship. Let's rejoice. Let's repent. And we're going to take communion. Ryan, come on up. We're going to take communion. We're going to remember the blood that was shed, the body that was broken. And we're going to confess as we partake, it was never about me. I wasn't saved by my works, and I'm not sanctified by my works. It was all about you. Your perfection is what I rest in today. And in 10 minutes, you're going to rest in his perfection. And three minutes from then, rest in his perfection. And Monday morning, when your alarm goes off and you're feeling condemned, you rest in his perfection. What the law couldn't do in that it was weak in the flesh, God did by sending his only son. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.